You're listening to Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about how we can live healthier, happier, and more fulfilled lives. And now, here's the host of the show, Dr. Michelle Choi. There's something that I've been thinking a lot about, which has come up several times. In episode three, when Robert Foster talks about his adverse childhood experiences, he brings up the generational bundle of abuse and alcoholism that has been passed down in his family. In episode 38, when Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about the biology of belief, he brings up how we're programmed to live a certain way by those who take care of us, which affects how we live when it wasn't our program of choosing. Glennon Doyle, in her book Untamed, calls it an unnecessary burden that is passed. Some people call this family karma. Because of the issues of the parents, siblings, or generational forefathers, there's a certain energetic pattern that develops within the family at large as it continues to get passed on. This generational bundle or baggage or programming is not necessarily good. It could be dysfunction, family secrets, abuse, addiction, illness, abandonment and neglect, poverty, violence, or betrayal. It's amazing to think that this bundle can be passed down for lifetimes and that we could be connected to past generations by the dysfunction. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. Not only are we physically related to our distant and immediate family members, but we could still be living their learned patterns. When we perpetuate the dysfunction, the abuse, the fear, we're creating a life from misinformation. Other people's fears become our own because we learn them. We can feel the fear that our parent carries through their voice, their eyes, their movements and actions. When we learn these burdens, we limit our own lives and those before us by enabling them. It becomes like a weight for not moving forward and embracing who we really are. Perhaps the truth is, we can't really control the learning of these burdens because that was our reality during a vulnerable time called childhood. But what we can control is the unlearning of this dysfunction, letting go of their issues so that it stops with us and is no longer passed to future generations. I think even in terms of my mother, how she lives is what she's learned. It doesn't excuse her actions at all, but I know it comes from some place. There's a part of me that always feels sad for her, and perhaps for me too, when I think about what has been lost. I feel sad to wonder what she experienced as a child, the choices she's made, the burden she continues to carry, to the point that it's caused some serious issues and the loneliness she continues to experience. Her father, my grandfather, was a very handsome man. Of the five children who were alive, my mother looked most like my grandfather. She was thought to be stunningly beautiful and she shared his temperament. My grandfather was also the most violent man I've ever met. There were times when he seemed caring, but it was generally known that he physically abused my grandmother and beat her up a lot. When I was six years old, my mother took us to see her family in Korea. And one day, we witnessed my grandfather beating up my youngest uncle. I remember him being on all fours as my grandfather beat him, the most I've ever witnessed anyone getting hit, even to this day. I don't remember my uncle crying or saying anything. And for some reason, we had dinner reservations somewhere and we went to the restaurant and ate dinner. And when we came home, my grandfather continued to beat him as violently as before the dinner reservations. The next morning, they woke up and had breakfast together as if nothing happened. That was my glimpse into what life could have been like for my mother growing up in that household. She grew up in a well-to-do family, lived in violence, saw her mother being abused, her siblings were beaten, and she was beaten. Knowing how hard and hectic it is to be a mom, I can't imagine how hard it was for my grandmother being physically beaten. 
I can't imagine being my full self in my body with physical abuse in the picture. I imagine that it feels like being a shell of a person. Something my mother would continue to cry about were stories of neglect as a toddler. At the time, I thought she was being silly, but in retrospect, maybe it did happen and it hurt her and disabled her. My mother is known for her violent temper and rages that can last for hours, and it's only gotten worse. Life has gotten much lonelier for her as well. Social connections have always been sparse, and now they're minimal, but I believe she is still functional. There is a point in my life that I thought my mother was my best friend, even when she hurt me. There were good times and bad. Things seemed to get worse after I married. There was a point in my life when I would have chosen my mother over my husband, and it's crazy to think that I was put into a position to choose. But sometimes that's how sick it is. It was only later in life when she was berating me and calling me garbage and predicting that my children and husband would all leave me one day that I realized that she was projecting onto me and talking about how she felt about herself. With time and a lot of introspection, I've realized that I can't fix my mother. Only she can fix herself. The only person that I can fix is me. For many years, I wondered what more I could do to help her, to be there at my own expense. But I'm wondering right now if we've reached the end of our road together, as she still continues to hurt me. I believe my mother was programmed to live a certain way of life, as my grandfather was likely programmed. How else do you learn that rage? And even though I know it made her so unhappy and caused even more problems for her, resulting in the breakup of her own family, she is connected to this dysfunction. She has limited her own life by enabling the violence. My mother could have chosen to take care of herself, honor her feelings, and work things out. She could have gotten help. She could have chosen not to pass on a generational bundle to my brother and me. She could have been our safe place to be and to become. This is something I've realized as an adult. You never stop needing a parent. It would have been great to have been loved unconditionally. But just because I wasn't doesn't mean I have to live a life that's disadvantageous. I'm creating it with my children. My family karma ends with me. And like Robert Foster, I will not be passing down my generational bundle to my children. And in order to do that, I'm taking care of myself and working on forgiveness with my family, even when it's hard. As Glennon Doyle says, you are here to decide if your life, relationships, and world are true and beautiful enough for you. And if they are not, and you dare to admit they are not, you must decide if you have the guts, the right, perhaps even the duty to burn to the ground that which is not true and beautiful enough and get started building what is. On today's show, I welcome my friend Josie Teresi. She's been on the show a couple times and I honor our conversations together. She is here to talk about her son and his addiction from the perspective of a mother. Josie is an intuitive spiritual counselor Reiki practitioner and healer, and inspirational writer. She blends her experience in energy work and her intuitive nature in creating a healing practice that promotes overall well-being of mind, body, and spirit. You can find her at josieteresi.com. Welcome back to the show, Josie. It's so good to see you again, and thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm really honored to be here, and it's really good to see you again. And Josie, before we begin, 
What has been the most challenging relationship in your life? Definitely, um, I don't have to think about it too much. It's my son. Um, uh, we have been on a journey together since he was 14 years old. Um, his early years are a delight to me. He was a wonderful little boy, very normal. Um, he had some ADD, ADHD issues, and he was dyslexic. But um, other than that, he was, you know, he had a lot of good friends and he loved dogs. And, you know, he was my little 10-year-old. And uh, uh, after the age of 13 or 14, he got into drugs. And he started, uh, he started, it, it's interesting because when he was a little, when he was a subteen, he came to me and he said, "Mom, I'm never going to smoke a cigarette. I'm never going to do that." And some of my friends are starting to smoke. I said, "Oh, I hope that you don't." And a week later, he was smoking cigarettes, smoking marijuana, and going towards harder drugs. That's how fast it happened. This was at age fourteen. Age fourteen, he started. Yes, uh -huh. he smart. He started smoking uh, black tar heroin when he was about 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. And um, it's very prevalent in the county that I live in. It's almost like an epidemic. And this was in the late 90s, early millennium. Could you tell amongst the friends that he was hanging out with that there could have been a problem? Um. Yeah, I lost control of who he was hanging with early on. Um, I tried, I tried, but I lost control of that. Once you lose control of, and they're picking friends that aren't the best for them, you can, it, it, it could be a big problem. It's a huge problem. So, um, yeah. It's almost like he was destined to take this path somehow or another. It was his destiny to take his path. One time he said to me, Mom, you're the best mom ever. I mean, you didn't do anything wrong. You you helped me. You tried to get me into rehab. I was just destined to do this. And he felt like it was his destiny. What do you think contributed to the substance use? Oh, a lot. A lot of things contributed to it. As you look back on it, you know, um, um, his father was uh, physically abusive to me. And um, he came home in a really bad mood. My, my, my husband, my ex-husband did. And I had uh, my baby, my son in my arms. And he fought with me and he pushed me really hard up against the sliding glass door over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, where the handle was, that's mm -hmm. where he was pushing me. So I got very bruised in my back. I got an infection in my liver and my kidneys from the injuries. My son was in my arms and um, I wouldn't let him go. And then my daughter was in the house and I yelled to her. I said, get my purse, get my keys, get my purse, get my keys. And she grabbed them. My son and my daughter ran out to the car. My husband followed me out, and he was trying to open the car door, and we left. How old was your daughter at the time? Uh, she was eight. And how old was your son? Five months old. Five months old. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. And he stopped nursing after that for 40 days. And we went straight to my mom and dad's house. My mom and dad took, me, took us in, of course. And um, uh, I tried to breastfeed my son, and he wouldn't accept the milk for 40 days. And then finally, finally he did. He went wow. back to breastfeeding. But that's how traumatic it was for the little boy. Even at five months old, yes. he stopped drinking yes. milk. And that I believe that really stayed with my son. It really stayed with him. Um, that kind of abuse, that that fear, that that disconnection with his dad. And then after that, we, of course, I, I wouldn't, because he hurt me so, 
um, I wouldn't have him back in the house and I filed for divorce. So my son and I and my daughter, uh, you know, were, were alone and uh, my husband, my ex-husband left and went down south to live. And then after that, you know, the bond kind of was broken after that w- between my son and my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Um, when my son was about 11, um, he started acting up and, and it was hard for me to discipline him. So I had a talk with my my ex-husband and he said, well, why don't you let let me have him for a little while? I said, okay. At age 11. Yes, at about 10, 11. Yeah. Uh, but more more 11, more 11, I'd say. And um, yeah, and so we decided. And so he went down to San Diego to live with um, his father and, and at the time, his father's wife, second wife. And they put him in school there, and I went to visit him. um, He only stayed with them about a year, a year and a half. And then he started calling me, crying, saying, Mom, I I don't want to be here anymore. I miss you. I miss Santa Cruz. I want to come back. And I succumbed to it. Mm -hmm. And it was shortly after that that he started getting into drugs. Did he ever talk about what his... Uh, what his time in San Diego was like? Uh, his father was a disciplinarian and is very strict with him. And uh, I was more of a soft touch. Mm-hmm. So he chose me over his father and in that in that respect. And did his, was his dad drinking at the time too? He was a social, heavy social drinker. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he had the problem that he has now. His wife is also an alcoholic. And uh, so there might have been some drinking and some um, maybe some marijuana smoking around my my son when he was younger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for the majority of your son's life, he grew up without a father as well. He grew up without a dad. Yeah. I mean, uh, he left when he was five months old. My son got his wings from PSA, PSA Airlines. And his grandmother on that side's husband was one of the VPs of PSA. So he'd get on a plane uh, in San Diego. He'd come to San Jose. He'd pick pick my son up. My son was just a little baby, <laughs> practically. And then they and and he would flirt with all the uh, all the steward eye, and they loved him because he was just such a cute little baby and a little kid. And then they gave him wings. So he had his wings. But he was he was doing a lot of back and forth. Um, that could have contributed to, to it too. You know, there was a lot of things that contribute to my son's drug addiction. And I think one of the things that is the most profound is, you know, that separation from his, his dad and... When my son got into drugs, his father completely disowned him. Um, he did one thing that I admire him for and respect him for. He came to the intervention. We had an intervention for my son. Yeah. How old was the intervention at? Um, I'd say he was about maybe 19 or 20 at the time. Mm-hmm. We had a... Um, we had a professional interventionist. We were lucky. She was the head of the the drug department um, and rehab department at UCSC. She she taught counselors how to deal with drug addicts and alcoholics. So she was a professional interventionist. We heard about her. We knew about her, and. She knew about my son on the street. How did she know about your son from the street? Um, everybody knew. Um, back then, you know, the cop, the cops all knew my son. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she knew. She knew people that she had helped before that were on drugs that were clean and sober, that were my son's friends, 
Yeah, so that's how she heard about my son through the streets. Was your son just using or was he selling as well? What happens with hardcore drug addicts is they get in good with the dealers by selling other drugs other than heroin. Could be um, methamphetamines. It could be cocaine. It could be marijuana. It could have been marijuana at that time because marijuana wasn't legal in California at that time. It was illegal. So they would make, they would start off by making him hustle and then they would, they would get, get him addicted to heroin. So he, he knew all the um, heroin dealers in the county. As a matter of fact, when my son was 17 years old, he did, he uh, was in on a sting operation in Santa Cruz. He didn't know it, but the sheriff uh, followed him around and knew he was going to meet with this heroin boss, this uh, pusher. He met at the Metro and they, they filmed it and they were there witnessing it. And as soon as they exchanged hands, they exchanged the drug, the cop, the cops swarmed in and arrested the the heroin boss. As well so as my, your son? As well as my son. So I got a call about midnight. I had no idea where my son was, which was pretty normal uh, when he was 17. I, I He would go missing for days at a time. Um, I got a phone call from him about midnight, and it was the sheriff. And he said, you know, your son has done a pretty good thing to, tonight. And I, he said, I'm going to put him on the phone and let him tell you. And I said, okay. So he said, mom, he said, I was on a sting operation and I helped, I helped the police officers nab this guy. And I said, well, good. I'm glad. And, you know, I got to the point as a mother that I was actually glad when he was in Carson incarcerated so he wouldn't die on the street i mean how long would he be incarcerated for the longest my son was incarcerated was through the safe program and it was the sheriffs that started the rehab it was in watsonville it was a wonderful program unfortunately economics and the city shut it down because they couldn't fund it anymore but my son got in on it and he was in he was in that rehab. It was a lockdown rehab, and he was there for a, an entire year. Mm-hmm. That was the longest stint. He he was in the he was in jail, and it was really helpful for him. Then the program. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful program. Now, for one reason or another, my son. You would think that he would hit his bottom. You know, every addict has a bottom. And if you think that you know that bottom, you're sadly mistaken because your bottom has nothing to do with his bottom. And he would bottom to a point and then he'd retract. Mm -hmm. So he didn't go all the way down to his bottom, never did. I mean, and you'd think that he would because he almost died one time. He almost died. And um, the people at the at the jail they saved his life because he was uh, he was Odin when they when they arrested him. Can I ask you during the sting operation was he aware of it or was he not aware of it? He wasn't aware of it until after they okay. told him after. So it wasn't like an intentional. I mean, he was arrested and it helped the yeah. the police. Yeah, but- he did it. He did it uh, without re- really being aware. Because they couldn't trust my son at that point. They couldn't trust him to carry out a sting operation. So they used him as a patsy. Mm-hmm. And they needed to nab this guy. This guy was a big pusher. So my son got him. And what scared me about that is I was afraid if he went out on the street that they would retaliate against him. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that... that is a worry to a loved one who has an, a, an addicted person because there's people out there there there's there's people out there that will actually kill for drugs and money so it's a dangerous dangerous place to be 
How old was your son when he was in that program in Watsonville for a year? Uh, he was uh, in the in the SAFE program. He was 24 years old. 24 years old. Yes. And after he got out of that program, uh, he was sober for about two years, two and a half years. Then he relapsed. He got himself a beautiful job. He held a job for almost two years, uh, two and a half years. Held a beautiful job. And then they they trusted him enough to send him on a business trip and he relapsed on that trip and trashed the entire motel room mm-hmm. and he got fired for that he had to pay a restitution for um, m- messing up the room and he and he got fired what did he relapse on uh heroin was he getting like counseling as a maintenance, like during that time? Like, was he getting therapy after um, having graduated the program? Okay, um, my son went through five rehabs in two and a half years, mm-hmm. and um, the first rehab was at the camp in Scotts Valley. What a wonderful, wonderful organization! Um, and how old was he then? 16, maybe 17 years old. He came to me um, one evening after work. It was about 5.30, and I was tired. It was a summer evening, and um, I was laying down in my my bedroom, and I was just dozing off before I had to uh, get up and cook dinner. And my son knocks on the door and wakes me up, and he said, Mom, I got, I, I got to talk to you about something. And, I, you know, I, I, when you have a loved one that is in the drug, is, is stuck in, in, in that drug war within themselves, anything, you grasp at anything that makes you proud. And I was proud of him for the admission that he gave me, said, Mom, I... I've been smoking black tar heroin for a year. Uh, and I was in I was in total shock. I had no idea. I knew he was maybe taking a few puffs of marijuana every once in a while cuz mm-hmm. I could smell it on him. He wasn't ever a drinker. I I didn't have to worry about alcohol with my son, but um yeah, so he came to me and and I hugged him. I took him in my arms. We both cried. And then I went into so many emotions. I I went through um, anger. What am I going to do? What am I going to, how am I going to save him? I went through so many different emotions. I woke up the next morning, I was angry. But that anger took me into action and I started doing my research. I started reading every single book I could on addiction, both alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, I started talking to a sheriff here in Santa Cruz County who was a, a narc. He was a narc detective. And he helped me um, get my son into the first rehab, which was the camp in Scotts Valley. A beautiful, beautiful organization. Is it they, still functioning? Yes. And they use the 12-step program. There's two halves to it. One side is adolescents, both boys and girls. And the other side is adults, both men and women. He went to that rehab two different times. One as a, a child and one as almost a near adult they almost put him into the adult program but they kept him into the mm-hmm. kept him into the juvenile program uh i i can't tell you how many rehabs i i sent him off to utah for 3 months um after the camp he relapsed so i sent him off to utah how old was he when he went to utah about 17 maybe mm-hmm. Yeah, it was right after the camp, 16, almost 17 years old. He was thin, on drugs, 
and I put him on the plane and I was, I flew with him. And then the very, the, that very evening I flew back Mm -hmm. and, um, it was a farm for emotionally upset, uh, girls and boys. And, um, um, usually tragedy had struck them. They either lost their parents or their parents died of a drug overdose or whatever. And, uh, but they took him. They took him because uh, he was emotionally upset and using drugs. And I'm telling you, those people were the most incredible, heartfelt, loving, healing people I have ever spoken to and met. And I was so excited and so relieved that I got him in that program. But it took a lot to get him into that program. And I, I spent hours. I mean... I'm not trying to be uh, a victim here or anything like that, but it became my full-time job to to find out and inquire about the best. I, I was trying to save his life. I, I, I did anything I could to save his life. I stopped enabling him. But, you know, it's hard for a mom and dad to not give your son or whoever, you know, that you love, your son or daughter, money or something to to make them, mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have that? Well, when he got older, he would ask me for money and and, um, money to pay his rent, money for this and that. And I found out that he was spending all of the money that I gave him on drugs. So he forced me. He didn't really force me. It was my choice, but I went back and forth into enabling and being um, a co-dependent. At 17, what drugs was he using and was he going to school? At 17, um, he was kicked out of San Lorenzo High School because they didn't want him there anymore. Mm -hmm. Keep him home. And uh, I tried homeschooling him. That didn't work. Did that escalate the problems when he was kicked out of school? Was was it a severe? I I think th- it might have. I haven't really thought about that aspect of it, but it might have uh, made it worse. Um, it just gave him more time to use drugs mm-hmm. and to uh, to um, I don't know isolate himself more into the drug. I believe, yeah. So. Um, yeah, he got kicked out of uh, San Lorenzo High School. The vice president met with me and said, I don't want to see your son. I don't want to hear him. I don't want to see him. He's a menace to society. He's gone. That's just so awful. You know, why doesn't every life deserve a chance? It's known now that diverse childhood experiences or childhood trauma, you know, can lead to like chronic illnesses, substance misuse or addiction, depression, and anxiety. And it's just so inhumane. Yeah. Well, I think that at the time it was happening, I think now, I think it uh, it would be more, there might be something that they could do to, to keep him in school or, or to help him or, but, you know, he was out of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, was he involved in any other activities like during his school age I, that yes, made him feel good? I, I, when he was young, yes, I try. I got him into um, baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played basketball. He was a skateboarder. He rode his bike. You know, he was he was pretty he was pretty sport minded, and he was good at it. He was good at basketball. He was a beautiful skateboarder. I mean, beautiful. He could have gone pro. He was really good. He wrote music. He can do anything he wants. He's a genius when it comes to music. He's He's got perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. And he's a writer. He's a poet. And he's a hip hopper. He was, he was a hip hopper. And he got into battle rapping. So um, do we know what, what, does everybody know what battle rapping is? Probably not. Uh, battle rapping is uh, they don't have any notes in front of them and they and they find out about each other and then they it's like a roast 
and they do that for competition and actually they make money. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it's amazing to me how he could use his brain and his brain could still function so smartly after all he did to his body and his psyche and his nervous system by by taking all the drugs. And I could just see the potential and the capacity he had if he hadn't gotten into drugs. And that's for a mother and a father, I think that that is, that's a hard one. Mm-hmm. That's that's a heartbreak because you have all of these, this promise, you know, of them growing up and using their beautiful creativity and their uniqueness. And he did, he fought it, he did it, but in the end, it it consumed him. The the drug actually consumed my son. You could just see it. And what happens with a people who are on drugs, Michelle, is that for long periods of time, um, and depending on what you take and everything, but your emotional your emotional growth stifles. It stops. And I I think a lot of people know that, but that's one thing that. And um, so you, you're emotionally and mentally younger than what you really are, but you look, your, your, your body has taken on the look of an older person because the drug just tears you up. I really believe health shows on your face. Oh, and yeah. your body and everything else. Yeah. So. And- and maybe what began as like a coping mechanism really was not, you know, and that's the problem with yeah. drugs and addiction. Like, so, and then yeah. once you, once you go down that path, sometimes it's really hard to stop. It's like crossing the tracks. Yes. Now, heroin. Um, of course, if you take too much of it, you're going to die. But heroin isn't really that bad for your body. It's the lifestyle that you have to live to conjure up the the drug. So the first time my son took heroin, I asked him what his experience was. And he said, it is so blissful. It's like dying and going to heaven, mom. It's so blissful that the next trip you take, you're looking for that first time, but it never happens. Then you get to the point where you take so much of it just not to get sick. So he was, if he didn't take it, he would get really, really sick, physically sick, throw up, nauseous, you know, coming off of the drug. One time he knocked on my door and he had his little pack with him. And how old was he? I don't know, maybe in his 30s. And um, he knocked on my door and he said, Mom, if if I if I I could I could die if I detox on the street. And I said, Come in. I let him in. And he stayed with me for a month and he detoxed. And I almost lost him. One time I I I almost took him to the emergency. He begged me not to. Yes, he almost died in my home. Um, but then he got through it and he relocated to the San Jose area and dabbled, continued to dabble in drugs. After that month? Yes. Yep. I tried to, I tried to get him into rehab, but it didn't, Mm -hmm. I, I, he had a bed and everything, but he didn't stay. He, um, they found, they found traces of, uh heroin on him and they kicked him out that must have been so traumatic for you during that month of detoxing Josie yes and it's just a list of it's like one of many I it's guess. just one of many um one time he he called me and he said you know I got some sort of a infection I got a I got a pull muscle in my arm mom and I so I it was at night I went I went to San Jose where he was crashing and I looked at his arm and he told me it was a pulled muscle 
It wasn't a pulled muscle. It was a dirty needle. Mm -hmm. And he had a hole in his arm. and Like a skin infection? Yeah. It was actually, you could actually see the bone mm -hmm. oh, in wow. his arm. So I said, you're not staying here. We're going to the emergency. So we went to Valley Medical and they took him in. And honestly, at that point, I feel bad about that, but I didn't stay. I couldn't stay. I, my emotions, I was just so tired of dealing with it that I said, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you here. And I just pray that you make it. And he almost died that night in the hospital. They saved his life because he had such a horrible infection. And then he, he convalesced at my home. He came back. And every night we had to put medicine on... Yeah, if the infection was deep enough that you see the bone, oh my god, either way against the flesh and the muscle, then unbelievable. And and to this day, he has a big divot in his arm from when that infection was. He got another another big hole in in this part of his arm on, his on the other arm. Mm -hmm. Did he stop after that hospitalization? <sighs> well, at this point, he's he dabbles. Mm -hmm. and, and he substantiates that. Um, oh, you know, I, I just tried it again for a little while. It's no big deal. I, I can go back to it. I, and he's still in major denial. I can go back to being sober anytime I want. He's in total denial. Mm -hmm. And when a person is in total denial, no matter what another person tries to do to help them, no matter rehab, how many rehabs, if he's in denial... He's not going to get anywhere because he's fooling himself. He's not being he's not being true to himself. He's not facing the addiction. Exactly. And I think if you're in denial and you don't see your truth, you really can't get the help that you really need. Because yeah. it's like your, do your door is shut to it. Yes. You know, and I think ultimately we all really choose how we're going to live and how we're going to die. And sometimes choosing how we're going to die affects how we're going to live. Yes. This is very, you know? very true. And I really do believe life is so merciful. There are so many points in his life that maybe he could have stopped, but that's the power of addiction. Yes. Uh, he, he never allowed himself to feel the pain. Um, the drug is... The drug isn't the first line of the problem. The drug is an underlying symptom of the problem. The drug just puts a, puts a, a mask on it. It puts a, a, a Band-Aid on the real problem. The real problem for my son was his depression. So, um, you know, he broke it to me and... I got into that nasty business of what drugs do to people and the abuse, uh, you know, and I became an enabler and a codependent. So I, I mean, I, I was a codependent and an enabler. I just didn't know I was. I said, what, what are you calling me names for? You know, the counselor said, you're an enabler. Get over it. You know, You've enabled your son to do this. You give him money. You you give him a place to live. I said, I can't kick my son out. So I went through the rehabs just like he did. And I got to a point where I wasn't going to enable him or be a codependent anymore. And that was my way of helping him. It was the only way I could help him if I stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. And I relapsed. I relapsed about three or four times. Like Trying to help him again, you mean. And I have to tell you, Michelle, that I used to be a wealthy woman. I had investments. I had, I owned my own home. I, I, I was doing very, I don't owe anybody. I was doing very well as a single woman, an independent woman. And I allowed my son to take all of my savings. And I did. And he used it for drug his drug abuse. And it's taken me a good 10 years 
to build up my status again after that. But it was a big lesson I learned. Huge. So I no longer enable him. Therefore, we, we, we don't have a relationship. I mean, of course, he's my son, and I love him forever. But uh, we don't have a physical relationship. Do you feel like, Josie, as you were trying to help him, that it was killing you as it was killing himself? I can't speak for other parents. I can't speak for other mo- mothers. I only know how how it affected me. Um, I'm a very I'm I'm an empath. I'm I'm extremely sensitive person, and um, it affected me. Yes, I felt like it was killing me. Um, uh, I I am a cancer survivor. Uh, sometimes. Um, sometimes people that go through a lot of, a lot of stress and a lot of competition fighting against something, they sometimes come down with cancer. And, um, I was one of those people, Um, but I'm a cancer survivor. So yes, um, I was stressed, thin, frazzled, unhappy, stagnant. Drugs ruin families. They separate families. It's poison inside and out to everybody that's involved, not just the person who's using the drugs. It ruins families. So my son, he's guilty. He feels guilt, and it's horrible. And so all that guilt he feels is on top of everything else that he feels, and so he does more drugs. The guilt and the shame on top of feeling horrible. Yeah. And I try I tried not to make him feel guilty, but he did that to him, you know, he he put that on himself. Yeah. It was a choice, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I kept on waiting for him to hit bottom. And I hit my bottom, but I, you know, the counselors kept on saying, Hey, Josie, your bottom's here. Your son's bottom is way, 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 way down there. Yeah. You can't compare the bottoms. And he may not bottom out. So what you what you end up praying for is that they bottom out. But God, you know, you could die before you bottom out. Yeah. Don't you think sometimes if a person's bottom is too far below, it's like digging your grave or getting very close to your grave? Yes. You know that that's another that's another worry. It's it's like how much can his body take? And one of the big my big worries is is he going to die? Am I going to get that phone call? You know, it's it's always there. You know, even when you have normal teenagers and they start driving, and you can imagine, you know, you you're concerned about that. You know, you're waiting for them to come home. But when you have a drug addict for a teenager or a young adult, your worry is compounded. Because you just never know. I mean, they they found him in a brand new Cadillac at 2.30 in the morning in San Jose on 1st Street. Passed out. Blacked out. How did he get the car? Who was he dealing with? Mm -hmm. He could have killed somebody and he could have killed himself. But for one reason or another, God is preserving him. I haven't heard anything. I'm the next of kin, so I would definitely hear if my son is dead. But it could happen anytime. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that you have to realize and live with. Um, I, I'll tell you, Michelle, I thank the community here in Santa Cruz County. I thank them so much because I... I don't know what I would have done without their help. Not only did they count, they they took such good care of my son every single time, but they counseled me too 
they took care of me too. And I don't know what I would have done without them. My son would have been dead. So, Josie, I just want to say you're one of the most loving people that I know. And I can't imagine how incredibly hard this is for you. And even you're so courageous to even like be able to make the decision to say that it's enough. Because at one point or another, like we all have to choose how we're going to live and how we're going to die. And I think it's really amazing how even though it hurts you so badly that you've chosen how you're going to live. Oh, yes. You, um, you know, it all goes back to self-preservation. It all goes down to self-love. Um, I knew I have another, uh, you know, aspect of my family. I've got a daughter. I've got a granddaughter. I've got a beautiful sister who is nine years older than me. I have a beautiful partner. I have a beautiful, beautiful metaphysical life path. And I have a practice. I'm a writer. And I've just learned to take the experiences and bring them into service. The one thing I pray for my son is that one day he calls me up and he's in service. That means that he's sober. Mm -hmm. And that's what I pray for. Um, but addiction, the, the addiction is born of depression. It's born uh, from being depressed and depressing your emotions, not honoring your feelings, not getting help around your heartache. Especially for your son. Right. Yes. I mean, I'm speaking from my son. And then, you know, I went along with the count in the counseling sessions and I, be I became sober from enabling and being codependent. So, but I have to admit that it, I haven't seen my son in two and a half years. And two and a half years ago, I took him in again, thinking that, that he was lying to me, thinking that he wasn't dabbling anymore. Oh, I'm clean and sober now, Mom. I'm, I'm on Kratom. So you believed him, right? I believed him. Mm -hmm. Now, my daughter did not believe him. He, she said, Mom, your enabling is kicking in. Your codependency is kicking in here. He is not clean and sober. I guarantee she took one look at him and she knew where my, in my eyes, I wanted, I wanted that hope. So I fell again. Um, but I didn't give him any money and he got very, very angry with me. He was destroying my home. He was using methamphetamines and heroin in my home. He was abusing his son, who is autistic. I had had it. I was done. Um, I, I called Adult Protection. There is a, there's an organization here in Santa Cruz County. It's called Adult Protection Program. Um, and I called them and I said, I, I, I need to get my son out of my house. And that was arranged, and he I got a restraining order, and he was he was escorted out of my home, which was very sad to watch him walk away. But I couldn't I couldn't enable him anymore, and I couldn't I, I couldn't be a codependent anymore. And since that time, my life has flourished. And um I I took the steps to take care of myself. You know, spirit gives us the opportunity of these beautiful children to come through us, but we don't own them. We don't own them, and they have their own path. They know how they're going to live. They know how they're going to die, like you said, Michelle. You're very, very right about that. And I felt like, why waste one life? Why waste two lives? I need to save my life. I need to preserve my life and be a good example for my son. Overcoming. And for your daughter, your partner, your and granddaughter, my, the people every, that you help. Exactly. And, and today I hope I'm helping 
people who are listening that might be going through something like this, that it doesn't define your individual life, that you can rise above it. That doesn't mean you stop loving your children or your loved one or your husband. It doesn't mean that. It means that you are going to rise above the addiction and say, you know what? I'm going to do better. And, and supposing, just supposing, my son comes back and he's clean and sober. He's going to want a, a mom to thrive with. Exactly. You love them and you continue to love Unconditionally. But you don't enable them anymore. No. No. It's, t- it's tough love and it's separation with love. I learned that at the camp. They taught me that. Now, most of those counselors, um, they are, they're usually, 80, 85% of them are, are uh, recovering addicts or alcoholics. They've had hepatitis C. They've been through hell and back. And now, God bless them all. They're in service. And that's how they stay sober. That's how they stay clean. And they're actually taking their experience and using it to help other people, which is a blessing. Now, I soon realized after grasping onto my own demons and knowledge, I could not control my son's destiny to recover or to be fatal. I couldn't. I could only teach my son by example of my own recovery process. And that's what I'm doing now. That's all I can do for him. He he probably thinks right now, oh, mom's sitting in her pretty house, you know, not even thinking about me. No, wrong, 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 wrong. I think that's the addiction on his mind, yeah. not his true soul. Speaking. Yeah. So what became my mantra is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That becomes your mantra when you adapt yourself to the programs. That becomes your mantra. And it, and it is so written, it's so compelling and, and written so well because it says, no matter what, you can't control you can't control the addiction. You can't control it if it's happening to somebody else. And you have to learn the difference between what you can work on to change and what you can't. And the wisdom to know the difference. Because that's what's going to bring you the serenity. And that's what has brought me my, my serenity and my ability to live an incredible life, full. Uh, I rose above it. And... Um, I think someday my my son will will be glad I did. Someday he will. I think so too. Either in this lifetime or another, but you know, I think he will. Yeah. I think he, he deep down he must he knows. Yeah. Josie, may I ask you? You know, as a spiritual intuitive, what's his inner light like with all the substance abuse? Uh very dark. Um, and I'll give you an example. One, one morning we were in the kitchen. He came down from his loft. He had a separate loft uh, that we lived in Felton. And he had done drugs the night before. And he came down. I didn't know it, but he came down. And I looked at his eyes. And I said, Son, your your eyes look so dead. And he got real close to me and he said, Mom, you're looking at eyes that don't have a soul anymore. I don't have a soul, Mom. My soul's dead. Oh, my gosh. So. How old was he when he said that? 19, 20. And my son is a handsome. He's a beautiful man. He's tall, he's slim, he's got beautiful sculptured features. He's gorgeous. But the drugs, see, he's 40 now, and he looks about 60, 65. 
in the face. So it it takes everything. It it takes, and he knew it. He knew it. He was aware of it. He said, "Mom, I, I my soul is gone. I don't know where it is. It left. Mm-hmm. It's gone. That's why you can't see the sparkle in my eyes anymore." Do you think? Don't you think sometimes the eyes are the window to the soul? Oh, absolutely. And you know, when I'm looking at you, I can see that sparkle. I can see that life in your eyes. I can see your smile, and all of that. And he had he has beautiful eyes too, but all of that was gone. You know, it was just it was just gone. It just takes everything from the inside out. So um, when we began the interview, you had said that you your son had told you that he felt his destiny was to deal with addiction. Yes. Why yes. do you think he said that, or how did he know? Um, my son is intuitive. As, as well, very sensitive uh, individual, um, more sensitive than he probably wants to ever admit. And uh, I, you know, I, of course, we've talked about his addiction and uh, why he got into it in, in this life and all. And he said that he had had at least one life in Atlantis. And in before Atlantis fell, it was filled with people that were just acting terrible, (laughs) you know, debauchery. And he said that his whole life was nothing but debauchery. Um, And he used that word and he came up with that word. So I'm going to trust him with that, you know. And um, he just felt like he had uh, some, some really past life karma that he was living out this time. And coming here was actually a blessing to evolve his soul. So look who he picked as a mother. He picked me as a mom. He picked a person who lives totally in the light. Totally debauchery is nothing that I've ever really <laughs> embraced. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. He he chose uh a person with a, a terrible addiction as a father, and he chose me as a mom. So our children choose us for to evolve their souls. So I'm just going along with the program. This is what my son is doing, and um, I, I love him, and um, I pray for him. I pray for his sobriety every day. And... Um, I'm not walking around hoping, 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 oh, he's going to get sober. He's going to get sober. No, you don't focus on it. You just give it to God and whatever happens is supposed to happen. Love with boundaries. Yes. It's unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Josie, do you think if one doesn't learn their lessons in this lifetime, we have to learn it again? Yes. If we choose to. Now, some some soul evolvement, they said, no, I don't want to. I don't want to learn that. That's that's our ultimate choice. So I feel that there's hope for my son. And um, I do. I feel there's hope for his soul to evolve, um, if not in this life, in the next. Because he came down, he came down here for a reason. And that was that was to evolve, evolve his soul. But what a painful, painful lesson. Oh. You know, if, why do it again? I know. You know, what a painful yes. lesson. Extremely, extremely painful. Um, why not make the wrong right now, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's the difficulty of addiction. It's just so hard. Um, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to end our talk, you know, uh, on a low note, but it the reality of it is when you indulge in hardcore drugs as long as my son has it absolutely it absolutely ruins your brain and your nervous system and your psyche and your heart and your soul it does it does and so it gets harder and harder to to see a better way um because they're they're trapped in that denial. Oh, I can get out of it anytime I want. It's not controlling me. I'm on kratom now. Kratom, kratom uh, is 
a very, very heavy-duty drug that reacts just like heroin does, and it's extremely addicting, but it's legal. Now, they're trying to make it illegal because it's a kill. it can kill you. So when, when he came to my house this last time, he was on Kratom, and he ran out of Kratom because it's expensive, and he has to... He had to drink tons of Kratom. He had to drink tons of it to make that reaction of one one injection of heroin. So he ran out of money. I stopped giving him money. And then he turned right to heroin to keep him down, methamphetamines to keep him up. Uh, But when I think about his overall soul, I think that he did an admirable thing to come back this time and try to be better. And he's still alive. There's still hope. There's still, There's still hope. As far as I know, my son is alive and he has a lot to contribute uh, if he would become clean and sober. He has an enormous amount to contribute. Josie, I know this was incredibly hard for you and painful for you, but thank you for sharing your story and thank you for sharing your light today. Thank you for allowing me to um, to talk. My goal in coming here today, Michelle, was to visit with you and and to have a beautiful chat about this. And my my ultimate goal is that if, if even just a, a handful of people get something out of this, I hope that I've helped in some way because that's what that's what my service is now. That's what I want to do is to help in in sharing my experience and my and my son's experience. Now, I years ago, I wrote a book, and I called it "Curse Among the Palms." And the last couple of chapters were about the drug years. And I asked my son before I wrote the book. He said, "Mom, you can talk about me anytime you want. Maybe it'll help somebody not get into." what my path was. Maybe maybe you can do that. He said, if I could ever help you with that, let me know. So I'll end it with that. Thank you so much, Michelle, for allowing me to share my story. See you next time on another edition of Lost or Found. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us, Lost or Found Podcast, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening to Lost or Found.